0: So I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, when we go into the what-if mode, we start introducing things into the equation that are not from him, because if it's from him, we don't have to move into the what-if. See, what-if is a code for I'm impatient and it need to happen now. I done waited long enough. What do you mean, wait on him? I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. I don't see it happen, so... Maybe he'll do it this way, or maybe he'll do it that way. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Abraham, formerly called Abram, is viewed as one of the most important persons, if not the most important person in scripture, besides Yeshua himself. Jehovah introduced himself to Moses as the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The faith we confess today started with the faith of Abraham. In this passage, Abram was commanded to get out of his country, away from his kindred, and from his father's house. Abraham brought with him his father Terah and nephew Lot. In spite of this, Abraham trusted Jehovah and Jehovah made several everlasting promises to Abraham in this passage. Today's study is The Promises to Abram. So, let's study. Genesis chapter number 12, and we're just going to go verse by verse through this particular teaching tonight, and hopefully it's all here. (laughs) Now, Jehovah had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now, we started this particular portion of Genesis Last week, because we were dealing with, as Moses revisited, the generations of Shem. And so in the latter part of Genesis chapter 11, we were able to look at the genealogy, generations of Shem, and we looked at some of the genealogy uh, that is here in chapter 11, which led us into chapter 12. And in chapter 11, we know that in verse number 31, it says, And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haram, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And then it closes by telling us that the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now, from this, we identify that Father had spoken and that the destination according to verse number 31 in Genesis chapter number 11 was Canaan. For they left Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. They stopped in Haran, and Terah there is where he died. Now, in verse number 1 of Genesis 12, it says that Jehovah had said, Jehovah had said unto Abram, Get thee out. And so in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it seems as if he spoke to Abram, and we looked at some verses last week, and some of them, a couple of them we'll repeat today, Because in knowing the New Testament and knowing other parts of the Bible, there are times whenever I'm doing a topic or study, like, for instance, on Abram or any person in the Bible, I look for all the places where their names are mentioned. And I do a a name search. And then I will go through those particular verses to see if there's any connections or correlation to other verses. And this is one of the ways that you actually put the picture together because there's some things that Father spoke to Joshua in addition to what he spoke to Moses and some things that he spoke to Yeshua, some things that he spoke to uh, Stephen, some things he spoke to Paul, all about Abram. And we're finding, and you'll see, that second to Yeshua, it seems as if Abram is the most important. Now, we know him as Abraham, but Abraham seems to be the most important human character in the Bible besides Yeshua. In fact, the faith that we have today supposedly started with him. Now, in verse 1, Abram was commanded to do three things in this passage, and you need to pay close attention to this. One, he was commanded, get thee out of thy country. Secondly, he was commanded, get thee from thy kindred. Third, he was commanded, get thee from thy father's house. Now, what's interesting here is that the first thing, get thee out of thy country, Abraham certainly did that. He left his country. But these next two is is baffling, if you would, to me, where it says, get thee from thy kindred. Well, it seems if he's telling him, get from thy kindred, that's all of them. But we find that his kindred is with him. And then, get thee from thy father's house. That would say to me, get thee from your father, because... If I'm getting away from my father's house, then my father lives in his house, right? So if I'm a getaway from my father's house, because you can't connect—well, you could. You could connect the father's house with the country, but if he's leaving the the country, he can't take his father's house with him, right? So you're leaving your father's house, you're leaving your country, you're leaving your kindred. This is what. Verse 1 says, and let's look at it again. Now, Jehovah had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house. Much is said about Abram's character in Scripture, as will be attested to later in this teaching, but I want to touch on something that Israel said about Abram, which proves over and over to be a weakness and apparently caused Abram to delay in fully obeying Jehovah. And Abram's weakness is many of our weaknesses. The thing that we are probably the weakest is when it comes to our loved ones, when it comes to our parents, our siblings, our children. And Abram's weakness, well, Some would say, why would you call that a weakness? Well, Abram, the father of faith, seemingly kept part of the instruction that father gave him, but seemingly not all of the instructions father gave him initially. And this is where it becomes a weakness for us. Because when it comes down to a stranger, rarely would we disobey the Almighty. But having five sons, you know, sons have a tendency more than daughters to challenge the father. Now, that doesn't leave daughters off the hook. Daughters challenge a different way. But sons have a tendency to buff up. <laughs> they got a tendency to throw their little chest even though they're little runts in their mind they think they can really you don't hear the bible talk about prodigal son i mean prodigal daughters now we ascribe prodigals to daughters but but the bible specifically spoke concerning prodigal sons and so here we find that having five sons the bible the torah says something that is really It's troubling to a father with five boys, especially when you have a son who disrespects his mother, disrespects his father. And dealing with some of the stuff that I'm personally dealing with, I just found out today that in South Carolina where I live, and I think it may even be national, but specifically in South Carolina, they just changed the law. And the law states now this is probably nationwide that a parent cannot put a child a child out into how what age eighteen now this has been this has been the thing I grew up in the environment, but when you're eighteen, you're out of here, so I suspect that that's been a law all along, but now I know for a fact that it's a law because some of us have had to contemplate the idea of strict discipline even to the point to where you have to ask somebody to leave and even go as far as putting them out. Well, the law states you can't do that. Now, what would make a parent, well, the law states you can't do that until a child is 18 years old. What would make a parent want to do that? What would make a parent want to do that is when a child is disrespectful, especially if they're buffing up on the father because father have a tendency to, you know, my dad told me, my mom told me, boy, I brought you in this world. And somehow, Brother Lee, they convinced me that they would do that. They convinced me that they would actually take me out, (laughs) which put the fear... It didn't put the fear of God in me. It put the fear of my daddy in me. And so I would never speak, raise your voice to your parent. Are you crazy? You are begging (coughs) for some discipline. Today, parents are cussing, children are cussing their parents out, jumping on their parents in their homes. That will never happen in my home. It it, it may happen once. (laughs) you know, only once, but there are parents out there who are hostage and afraid of their children. Now, Jehovah established in the law that if you have a son like that, what do you do? You take, it didn't say this about a daughter, but if you have a son, he's a glutton, a drunk, disrespectful, what do you do? You take that son to the elders at the city gate and you stone him to death. Now, what would make... Father, put something like that in the Bible. That's the thing that gets me. Why would he even put that in the Bible? That you now, if the child is a blessing from Jehovah, but he's disrespecting you, dishonoring you in your own home. He didn't say put him out. It's not about putting you out on the streets. It's about taking you out. Why? Because I'm going to tell you something. When a child gets to the point to where they will disrespect their parents like that, they are flat out lawless. And Father says, this is how you deal with this particular situation. Now, Abraham didn't have this kind of issue. But even those of us who claim to be Torah observant would probably not succumb to that portion of Torah, to where you would literally take your child to a stoning party, even though that child may deserve it 10 times over. Imagine a child beating up his mama. I had to deal with one of my boys. My boy said, boy, he said, man, I'll drop you. That's what he told me. <laughs> That was a long time ago. Boy, you'd have lost your mind. <laughs> I didn't want to embarrass him, but, but he asked for that one. But still, with all of that, you know, if the child go to jail, you try to raise money to go get him out of jail, where they probably should be locked up and the key thrown away. You got parents who are putting their houses up for bail, For a child, they don't even want living in their house. And father says, hey, hey. hey." And you know, the law have said this now, I think, that, okay, y'all don't want us to deal with them. Because here's the deal. With juvenile delinquents, juveniles in the state of South Carolina can't be put out. And I found out today that if a juvenile is taken in and arrested, that the juvenile court sets a court date and make the parent sign papers that the parent is gonna take responsibility to get that child to court on the court date. If the parent don't get the child to court on the court date, they charge the parents. So I said, well, what happens if the parent don't sign the papers? They said, well, we never had that happen. I don't know. It's like what parent would, well, that's the point. Parents are signing the papers to take the child back home, and then they got to be responsible for getting that child to court on the court date or be charged. Talk about a lawless society to where even the law says you all don't want us to deal with your child, then we're going to make you responsible for them. (laughs) In my day, (laughs) growing up, that was unthinkable, unheard of. And the child knows the law. So these young people, when I was working out on the streets and dealing with young thugs and drug dealers and... They knew as a juvenile that the police couldn't do but such and such. They knew that they could carry a certain amount of drugs, a certain amount of paraphernalia, and even if they got caught, the worst thing that would happen is they get a slap on the wrist and sent home to their parents. So they know the law, and they stay right underneath there, but close enough to the line to where now, if the police come, they can talk about the police, cuss the police out, and the police can't do nothing, and guess who the police faults for that? Parents, how can you let your child get like that? How can you permit your son and your daughter to behave in such a way to where they disrespect the law enforcement? See, here's the thing. If a child is lawless in your house, what do you think they're going to do when they get out of your house? And if you don't discipline them, you don't love them. And so the the law is saying parents are not disciplining their children. They're leaving them out here for us to deal with them. We try to deal with them. And here come the parents and say, how dare you touch my child? How dare you embarrass my child? How dare you try to give my child a record? That's going to mess up their future. That's going to mess up their college. That's going to mess up their military. That's going to mess up their job. And Father is saying, listen, if y'all don't deal with this, he puts it in his commands. He instructs us. And right now, in a society that is completely void of Jehovah's law, it's gotten to the point now to where they disregard the law of the land. And it's sad. And see, Father tested his people with the Sabbath. He says, listen, if you don't obey the Sabbath, you're not going to obey the rest of the commands. I was reading a post just the other day, and I I was bothered by it, but I know it's true. A server in a restaurant says they despise Sunday working. Why? Because after church, all the Christians show up for their rituals of meals, and some of the most disrespectful, entitled individuals are showing up after church, and they hate it. Not only are they demanding and entitled, they feel that they should be treated different than everybody else, and then they don't tip good. This is God's people who have abandoned the law. So Abraham had this weakness that I think we are all guilty of, but we need to deal with within ourselves. Because if we don't deal with our children, then the world out there will deal with them. And Father ultimately is going to deal with us. But Abraham's weakness was, and it shows that he didn't fully comply with what he was instructed to do. Abraham is viewed as one of the most important persons, if not the most important person in Scripture besides Yeshua himself. The faith we confess today, as I stated, started by faith with Abram. Although Luke's genealogy of Yeshua goes back to Adam, Matthew takes his genealogy of Yeshua back to Abraham. And this is what he says in verse 1, the book of the generation of Yeshua Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And that's as far as Matthew goes. Why? Because he's talking about the generation of Messiah and that he's indicating that this faith that Yeshua came to present to the world started with Abram. Abram is known as the father of them that believe by faith and here's where we find what Paul wrote in Romans 4 1 and he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised that he might be the father of all them that believe though they be not circumcised that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And Paul wrote in Galatians 3, even as Abraham believed Elohim, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know you therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So what is he saying? Abraham is the father of faith in them that believe. And the scripture foreseeing that Elohim would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham. So the first gospel, even though we know that it was preached in the wilderness, was preached to Abraham. And it was a gospel of obedience is really what it was. It was obedience. That obedience was, I'm giving you an instruction, follow my instruction. And we know that Abraham didn't fully although it makes our ears hurt when I say stuff like that because even saying it feels uncomfortable. (laughs) And so it says, and the scripture foreseeing that Elohim would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying in thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. The Jewish people of Yeshua's day boasted themselves as being the seed of Abraham according to the promises to Abraham. John eight thirty three. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou you shall be made free? Now we know that they've been in bondage to many, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, even now under Rome authority as they speak. I know that you are Abram's seed, Yeshua said, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. Jumping down to verse 39, it says, They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Yeshua said unto them, If you were Abram's children, you would do the works of Abram. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of Elohim. This is not something Abraham would do. And then Jehovah introduces himself to Moses as the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Exodus 3, 6, moreover, he said, I am the Elohim of thy father, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon him. So this is how he introduces himself initially to Moses, taking Moses back to, listen, your fathers had faith, but this faith started with Abraham, and I'm the one who started this relationship with Abraham when I called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. But Abraham was emotionally connected to his family. And idolatry was a reason Jehovah told Abraham to leave his father's house and his country and his kindred. And we find this out from Joshua. Because Joshua wrote in Joshua 24, 2, and Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith Jehovah Elohim of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abram, and the father of Nahor, and they served other Elohim. So what is he saying? Terah was an idolater, and his father And they served other Elohims. And Joshua ultimately said they had to choose this day as to who they would serve. And so when Abraham was told to leave, he travels with his father, who Joshua said worshipped other Elohims or gods, after Jehovah told him to leave his father's house and his kindred. Not only that, he allows Lot to come with him. And later, Abraham sends back to his country for a wife for his son Isaac. So we see that Abraham was connected to Ur. He was connected to the country that father had told him to get away from. Now, these things are plainly written, but we don't necessarily deal with them in that light. And what I'm trying to say here, brothers and sisters, listen, having weaknesses for your family is not uncommon by men and women of faith. It happens. We need to understand, though, that when those weaknesses that we have that is connected to our family is not properly dealt with, it creates problems for us. It can delay blessings in our lives. It introduces stumbling blocks for future generations. And Sarah had this revelation. Jumping ahead, but when when she brought that Egyptian woman to her husband, thinking, okay, and you hear this kind of talk. Well, what if God is going to do? This? Well, what if? Well, what if it is like? Why are you going off on these what ifs? What did he say? Well, I don't know. But what if? It could be that he's trying to do this through this. Well, you know, God can use the doctors. Well, you know, God can use this and he can use that and he can. But what has he said? So people will try to get him to comply with their agenda instead of seeking him first, acknowledging him in all their ways that he might direct their path. And so the Bible tells us that he told him to leave. Leave your father's house, leave your country, and leave your relatives. That's what that word kindred is. Leave your people. Jehovah did not hold against Abraham for bringing his kindred with him, but it did cost Abraham during Abraham's lifespan and through Lot's descendants, the Moabites. This was a long-term, and even to this day, there's still the effects because when Sarah brought Abram, Hagar, and he brought forth Ishmael and the Ishmaelites and those today who have associated themselves as descendants of Ishmael as Muslims who are now antagonizing the Jewish people in the land of Israel and who are threatening to wipe Israel off the map. These are supposedly the descendants of of Hagar, or the descendants of Ishmael through Hagar, who Sarah brought to her husband with, well, what if he's going to fulfill his promise to you this way? So I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, when we go into the what-if mode, we start introducing things into the equation that are not from him, because if it's from him, we don't have to move into the what if. See, what if is a code for I'm impatient and it need to happen now. I done waited long enough. What do you mean wait on him? I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. I don't see it happen, so maybe he'll do it this way. Or maybe he'll do it that way. When I start having those conversations with people, I try to find my way out of those conversations Because I'm not getting into, nor am I trying to endorse your impatience by trying to introduce some other way that Father, and that's not to say that he couldn't use it. But see, I think sometimes we err on the side of, well, he's going to work it all out to our good anyway. So, yeah. But it may not be in your lifetime. What you're doing today could affect your children, your children's children, Your children's children's children. And this is certainly the case with Abraham. Now, Abraham was a man of faith, but Abraham was a flawed man. And that's all I'm pointing out. It's not to diminish because I can't diminish Abraham. Abraham was a friend of Jehovah. He was. He he was his friend. Just as David was a man after Jehovah's own heart. That didn't mean David was perfect. David was seriously flawed. Abraham was flawed. Moses was flawed. Noah was flawed. Adam was flawed. We are flawed. And we have to make sure that we confront our flaws because we got to deal with these flaws in order to submit ourselves wholeheartedly to Him. Otherwise, our flaws will get in the way and cause us future heartache. It may satisfy a moment, but it's going to cause some problems for the future. And where there's future problems, there's regrets for the moment where we lapsed in judgment. Abraham trusted Yehovah. So this is not to diminish Abraham as a man of faith. Men of faith and women of faith have to deal with this flawed thing called the carnal, the carnal nature. We all got to deal with it. Hebrews eleven eight by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. That is so much true. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is Elohim. When Jehovah told Abraham to leave, he made several promises to Abram before he changed his name to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, if we pull these out and look at them one by one, you'll see that there is at least seven promises to Abram. One, he says, I will make thee a great nation. Now, this has to be looked at in the whole of Scripture because when you talk about making someone a great nation, That is like Jacob, the land of Israel. Israel was a great nation. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So the land of Israel is the land of Jacob, whom Father said, you know, he would make him great. But there is no land of Abraham. There is no nation of Abraham. And so now this particular promise is still being fulfilled in the sense That Abraham is gone. He's dead. He's buried. But Father says, I will make of thee a great nation. And the question is, is what nation is that? I got theories, but I won't go there yet. And number two, I will bless thee. Now, this is without question shown over and over and over again. And the blessings... That seems to be associated with this particular verse is material. And when I say material, I'm talking about material resources, even human resources. Why? Because when a person has men servants and maid servants, that's employees, if you would, employees, you typically don't have to pay. Unless, of course, they're hired servants, which is not slaves. And so we're going to see here in a moment. And I will make thy name great. Well, the fact that we're preaching about him and teaching on him is the fulfillment. Number four, I will make you a blessing. Everywhere Abraham went, people were blessed by him, Truly, and we'll see that as we go through. I will bless them that bless thee. We're going to see that manifest. I will curse them that curse thee. We're going to see that. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And today, the fact that we're teaching the gospel, the true gospel of the kingdom, and Abraham being the father, if you would, of that faith, being the father of This gospel, as we saw earlier, that gospel was preached to him, and then this gospel was preached to the children of Israel in the wilderness, and we've been commissioned to take this gospel of the kingdom to the nations of the world, and you can't take the gospel of the kingdom to the nations of the world without talking about Abraham. You just can't do it because everything has an origin. If you just open up the first book of the New Testament, matter of fact, Let's do it. The first book of the New Testament. Abraham is in the first verse. The book of the generation of Yeshua, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You can't take the gospel anywhere without talking about Abraham. Verse 4. So Abram departed as Jehovah had spoken unto him. Now, that's a kindred. And Lot went with them. Now, it seemed like Abraham would say, you know... Because they're in the land of Haran. Lot has already traveled from Ur of the Chaldees. They're in the land of Haran where Terah dies. And at this point, Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, we don't know how old he was when he went in, so we don't know how long he was there. But here's what we know. We're going to see that Lot was a liability to Abraham who seemingly had a very big heart for family. What's interesting is that we're going to talk about Lot's wife as we go forth in Genesis, but we don't find out where Lot's wife was from, who Lot's wife was. Was Lot married when they left Ur? Did he get married in Haran? Did he get married after he pitched his tent? It seems as if, but we don't know where his wife came from, but we know he has two daughters. We're going to find out his daughters both had sons. I mean, husbands, which were Lot's son-in-laws, which rejected the gospel that Lot preached to them when Lot was warned that the city was going to be destroyed. And that's interesting, you know, as it takes us back to Noah. And this is the challenge with family. Because when we looked at Noah and Father told Noah to build this ark, we know that Noah had a mom, Noah had a dad. We know that Noah had siblings. Noah's sons' wives had parents. They more than likely had siblings as well. And while Noah is doing all this preaching for all that time, guess what? Those folks rejected Noah's teachings. They rejected Noah's warnings. We've got to deal with that same stuff. Now, that doesn't relieve us from the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel, even though people may reject it. I know that as I reflect back on my life, I remember things that people tried to tell me. Now, if I, reject, if I rejected Messiah and on the day of judgment, I'm standing there giving account, just as I reflect back on people trying to warn me and tell me about stuff back then and I didn't listen to it, I have no excuse in the judgment. I can't say because I know. And that, I believe, is the purpose why Father tells us, listen, your job is to take the good news. Your job is to proclaim the gospel. Your job is to proclaim on the rooftop the things that is revealed in secret. Those who receive you, fine, beautiful. Those who reject you, shake the dust. Well, what if it's family? I'm going to tell you the hardest thing to do is to shake the dust when it comes to family. We can shake the dust when it comes to neighbors. We can shake the dust when it comes to strangers. We could even shake the dust when it comes to some friends or acquaintances. But it's tough to shake the dust when it comes to family. Abraham had a big heart. Many of us, we have big hearts, and yet having a big heart doesn't neglect or doesn't give us the 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 right to neglect the instructions that Father give us on dealing with their times when we have to disconnect people from family, we'll put up with family members with stuff we won't even think about putting up with a stranger. Why? Because of that familiar connection. We wouldn't dare let some strangers deal with us the way we allow family members to deal with us. They're a human being. They're another soul. But they're not just any soul. They're blood of my blood. Well, see, here's where the disconnect doesn't happen. When we are born again, we are automatically put into a new family. That doesn't eliminate our biological family, but herein lies the issue. There are times when we operate under our authority. If we've been called and we're not of the world, We are in it, but not of it. When we deal with family and we operate underneath the authority that we've been called to, we're operating as if we're of the world because we've allowed the of the world people to connect us to the of the world mind, the emotions of the world, the feelings of the world, the connections of the world. That doesn't mean you have to be heartless in dealing with people, but you have to use the instructions. And see, this is where we sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll neglect what the Bible say to us when we're dealing with people in the family. Well, there you go, quoting scripture again. Well, how am I supposed to live? If I don't live by this book, what rules do I live by? Well, well you could do that stuff in the church. But don't be bringing that stuff over here. Oh, so you're telling me deal with you like family, but not in accordance to the word. So if I don't deal with you according to the word, how am I supposed to deal with you like family? So explain that. Because see, you're either of it or you're not. It's difficult to be torn between two. Now, I'm not giving anybody... Because all of us have to find that balance to where we live as sons and daughters of the Most High while dealing with our biological sons and daughters. Because even he gives us instructions. Now, if he says, children, obey your parents, but your child rejects this book, then they're not obligated to obey their parents according to this book. So if they reject the book, which by their actions shows they're doing, how do you, who is a person of the book, deal with somebody who has rejected the book? Do you come up with a different standard? A different set of rules? A different playbook? And who's writing it? Who's making the rules here? Because somebody is making the rules, but they don't want to be held accountable to the rules that have been made. That's the reality we're dealing with. And so Abraham, he had a big heart for family too. And we can see that, well, let's keep moving. Verse 5, And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. So while they were in Haran, Jehovah was blessing him and prospering him, even. As he was demonstrating a heart for his dad. Whereas he stayed in Haran when he was really supposed to be going to Canaan. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. Now he finally leaves after Terah dies. So how long Abram was in Haran, we don't know. But he acquired souls. And these were either slaves or hired servants. Because we know that later on when father gives him the instructions concerning circumcision here in verse chapter 17. And Elohim said unto Abraham thou shalt keep my covenant therefore thou and thy seed after thee and their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you. And thy seed after thee every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man, child in your generations, he that is born in your house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. So what is he saying? You're buying people. But then there are people born in the house. Now you can look at this two ways. One, if I buy a stranger and I buy a male and female and they mate, but they're my property because I bought them. This is what he says, bought with money then their children becomes mine too. So their children are born in my house. That's one way. But now, because he's speaking to Abram, and he's 75 years old, and it's not for another 20-some years that he's going to have his own child, that now his child, and, and we know that that's when he actually, he circumcises Ishmael, right? So, those who were born in his house, he was born in his house, and then Isaac was born in his house. So he had children born in his house from his own loins and children born in his house from the strangers that he bought with money. But nevertheless, what is he saying? There's, there's all these people that he's acquired. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Back to Genesis 12. And Abram passed through the land in, unto the place of Sishem, unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Now that word, Sishem, is actually Shechem. It's only used for Sishem once. And these are the kinds of things that when I see, it's like, why couldn't you just say Shechem? Because Moses, who's writing this, and here's where I see translation challenges. Because Moses uses the word Shechem, but not here. He uses the word Sychem. Is Moses writing this, or is this a translation issue? Because if you look up the word Sychem, what is it, Lee? Shechem. That's what it is. And you'll find that its location, when you look at it geographically, that its location is the same. Now, there's another that we're going to look at uh, later on, and that's Bethel, which was before called Luz. So Luz and Bethel is the same, but it was Luz to some people and Bethel to another people, which is possibly an indication of different language being spoken because one people call it one thing and another people call it another thing, but it's all now given to us in English, supposedly translated from the Hebrew. But do you get what I'm saying? It's supposedly given to us in the Hebrew, but it is another language other than Hebrew because Moses, who is a Hebrew, uses two different words to identify the same place. Now, Moses could say that the native people called it Sashem, but we Hebrews call it Shechem. It's the same place. So are you saying there was native people? What language did they speak? Did they speak Hebrew? Did the people speak Hebrew before Abraham came into the land? Were they Hebrews? Now, you may not go there, but my mind goes into places because that's just the way my mind works. I didn't ask to think like this. I didn't train myself to think like this. It's as if I've been shaped in this mode. And I try to shut it off. I've tried to shut it off because sometimes, you know, like my wife says, I don't want to be in your head. Sometimes I don't want to be in my head. That's just the reality of it. And it just won't turn off. So I have to deal with it. And fortunately, from time to time, I can get distracted from it. But that's just my lot. Up to this point in Genesis, Jehovah spoke to Abram. Now he appears to him in the land of Canaan and speaks. However, Stephen stated that Jehovah appeared unto Abram in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. This is what Stephen says in chapter two, chapter 7 of Acts Verse 2, and he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. Now, this puts me in the category of a Stephen because Stephen brings out the ugly part of Israel's history. When we write the history, if I'm writing my own biography, then I'm going to clean it up. You know how we are. You can't talk. You know, I had people, they've written me because I've made some statements like, how can you talk about the dead? Well, Some men's sins are exposed before they die. Some men's sins are exposed after. And if I take that logic and say, well, how can you talk about the dead? Well, how can I talk about Cain? Cain was a murderer, but he dead. So with that mindset, how can I talk about Cain? Well, Cain's sins are recorded. Father has a tendency to record the good, the bad, and the ugly. Why? Because it's an example for us. There are things that we can learn that we should do, and there are things that we are learning that we should not do. So just because it's written in the Bible doesn't mean it's okay to live that. No. These are examples that we're not supposed to follow. If we follow those kinds of examples, we're going to get the outcome. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. So we see people who live by the sword and they die by the sword. Do I want to apply Their philosophy in my life? No. And so we see, and he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abram when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. So that, what is he saying? He's saying that when Abram was in Ur of the Chaldees, father says, leave your father's house, leave your kindred, and leave your country. Haran is not in Mesopotamia, not in Ur, rather. Abraham was in Ur. They traveled up to Haran with his father, with his nephew, whom father told him to leave. And I'm sure that when when Stephen is, because you know Stephen got stoned by the religious Jews. They killed him. Why? Because he's saying stuff they don't want to hear. He's painting the ugly side of Israel's history, To the people who are about to receive, who are about to repeat the ugly side of Israel's history. Why are they stoning him for telling them their history? Because they've killed Messiah, right? And they want to be done with him. And here you are telling us about this person we've already had persecuted, and you're reminding us of this, and so you got to go too. And then the disciples and the apostles, y'all got to go too, down to this day, except. Judaism has figured out another way. There's this old adage, if you can't beat them, join them. If you can't beat them, join them. So here's what Balak understood. Balaam understood that you can't curse what he's blessed and you can't bless what he's cursed. But here's how we can get them. If we can get them to go into idolatry, if we can get them involved in some sexual immorality, they will curse themselves. And so here's what Judaism has done. It has figured out a way to incorporate itself in the Messianic faith. And what happens with those in the Messianic faith? There are many in the Messianic faith who's practicing Judaism. Even to the point of now saying that Judaism was the law given to Moses. That the children of Israel practiced Judaism in the wilderness. No, Judaism came after Babylon. There was no Judaism in the wilderness. But to unlearned individuals who love rituals and traditions is replacing Christian traditions with Jewish traditions. You got the accoutrements of Judaism, though you reject the cross, but you got the Star of David. It's like, where is the Star of David in the Bible? It's not there. At least the Bible mentions a cross. (laughs) right? Don't mention no Star of David. And you got people wearing stars and putting stars on everything. I even had some menorahs with stars. I had to, you know, we used to have the Star of David, the flag. We had to, we don't want that. Well, brother, you, you got a problem with Israel? No, no, no. It's the symbolisms and the traditions that I'm associating or disassociating with. The Star of David is not associated with the Bible, it's associated with Zionism. Zionism is not a religion, it's a political movement. Zionism is not trying to further the gospel of the kingdom or any gospel for that matter, it's trying to do the same thing patriotism does. See, patriotism and Zionism, what patriotism and Zionism have in common, you want to know what patriotism and Zionism have in common? They both exalt the military. That's what they do. They exalt the military. Patriotism and Zionism both award the freedom of a people to military prowess. Your freedom, they say, come from those men and women who are given their lives and sacrificing for the country so that you can exercise the freedoms that you have. So let me get this. Do my freedom come from men and women fighting or do my freedom come from the Most High? When you look at it from that perspective, you come into the reality that patriotism is trying to replace In some way, and military moms, I'm not coming after you, military dads, military people, sons and daughters of military, it's not about that. You cannot give your freedom, the obtaining of your freedom to both the military and to God. You can't. The military, it fights and it keeps the borders and, and all of that stuff you know i'm military i'm former military but i come to realize that if you're trying to cause me to acquiesce to a belief system that i have to reject by my faith i can't mix i can't mix patriotism with my faith i can't i can't give my freedom, the attainment of my freedom to the military if the attainment of my freedom came through Messiah. See, Zionism exalts the IDF. Patriotism exalts the military. That's just a no-brainer. Everybody knows that. But few people, see... Few people would be bold enough to say it because it's unpatriotic. But it's the reality, folks. Own it or reject it. Verse 7, And Jehovah appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and, and there build he an altar unto Jehovah, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east, and there he built an altar unto Yehovah and called upon the name of Jehovah. Now, we're gonna deal with this a little further down, but high and AI is one and the same. There's another one of those things. High is used twice, AI is used 36 times. Joshua fought at AI, but here high is used instead of AI. And when I see things like this, it makes me wonder. That's just me. Why? Because Moses is writing this, but high is used in the Torah. Ai is used from Joshua. On. But didn't Joshua speak the same language as Moses? So here we have some translation challenges again. And then finally, Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. And we'll pick up next week in verse number 10 going forward. That's the end of the teaching tonight. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at ArthurBaileyMinistries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.